In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us kneel. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, pray for us. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, most worthy of our reverence and love. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the Holy Family of Nazareth. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, image on earth of the August Trinity. Holy Family, tried by the greatest contradictions. Holy Family, afflicted in your journey to Bethlehem. Holy Family, rejected by all and obliged to take refuge in a stable. Holy Family, saluted by the concerts of the angels. Holy Family, visited by the poor shepherds. Holy Family, venerated by the wise men. Holy Family, persecuted and exiled in a strange country. Holy Family, hidden and unknown at Nazareth. Holy Family, model of Christian families. Holy Family, whose head is a model of paternal vigilance. Holy Family, whose spouse is a model of maternal care. Holy Family, whose child is a model of obedience and filial piety. Holy Family, poor in the goods of the world, but rich in the goods of heaven. Holy Family, who lived a life of love of God, prayer, and mortification. Holy Family, patrons and protectors of all Christian families. Christ child Jesus, Holy Mary, and Saint Joseph, pray for us. Let us pray. O God of goodness and mercy, grant that we may always love, honor, and imitate Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, so that pleasing them on earth, we may enjoy their presence in heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, who lives and reigns with thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, I give you my heart, my soul, and my life. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, assist me in my last agony. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, may I die in peace with your holy company. Today is the third Sunday after Epiphany. And as I mentioned last Sunday, this means that we continue in the Christmas and Epiphany season. The Christmas season continues until February the 2nd. And so once again, I continue to encourage all of you that if you have your nativity scenes at home, keep your nativity scenes up and continue to take time to look at the nativity scene so that you can see therein the model that God Himself gives us for our marriages and our families, especially parents with smaller children. Keep your nativity scenes up and teach your children. Teach your children and say, look at the nativity scene. Look at Jesus, Mary and Joseph. This is the model for us as Catholics. Our family should be modeled after the Holy Family. That's why God in His goodness gives us a long period of time so that we can continue in a more, we might say, solemn way 
having before us the model for our own marriages and families. Again, the Holy Family of Nazareth. Remember that Christmas is like the shepherds. We too find Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. The infant is not lying in the manger alone. The shepherds found the infant with Mary and Joseph. But in a very profound way, we're even blessed more than the shepherds were on Christmas night. And the reason why I say we're blessed even more is because we see something, when we go before the manger scene, we see something in particular that the shepherds did not see. And that's, we also see the three kings that are there adoring the Christ child. That basically have left everything to go find the true king, the true God and adore him and offer their gifts. That's why it's also significant that this season of Christmas, it's also the season of Epiphany. Today is the third Sunday after Epiphany. Because we're also to keep before our eyes and our minds the example of the three kings. And their example is that they come to adore the Christ child and to offer him gifts which represent love of God, prayer and mortification. And really, this is the way, this also is the model for, again, our Catholic families. Our Catholic families really should be formed in these greatest of virtues, love of God, prayer, mortification, in the home. The children, when they're small, that's where they're supposed to learn what it means to love God above all things. Fidelity to prayer, mortification, there in the home. And again, our example are the three kings. And as I think I've mentioned already this Christmas season, the Holy Family of Nazareth is particularly outstanding in this regard. Love of God, prayer, mortification. I'll remind you again today what I mentioned to you last Sunday, and that's again as a way of keeping these virtues very much in mind, so necessary for our marriages and families, and again, the best example of these virtues, the Holy Family of Nazareth. And that's the different virtues that I mentioned last Sunday that are specifically prayed for in the Christmas blessing, the Christmas epiphany blessing of the Catholic homes. And I'll mention just some of them. Again, chastity, the victory of virtue, so that virtue may be victorious in that marriage, in that home, virtue over vice. So the victory of virtue, humility, obedience to God's commandments, and thanksgiving to God. Listen carefully and listen with faith. Because your marriages and your families, your homes, should be outstanding in these virtues. And if not, pray and ask more the help and the intercession of the Holy Family. So that chastity will reign 
in my marriage, in my home, so that virtue will be victorious in the souls of my children, in my wife, in my husband. Humility. It's something, sadly, that lacks so much among, within marriages, husband and wife. Both should be growing in humility. Obedience to God's commandments. Thanksgiving to God. Always give thanks to God. Practice obedience above all to God's commandments. The first form of obedience that there should be in the Catholic home, obedience to God's commandments. Again, yes, the Catholic wife is obedient and submissive to her husband, but that's within the context of obedience to God's commandments first and foremost. I'm going to read to you just a few brief teachings on marriage and the family by the popes, specifically Pope Leo XIII and Pope Pius XI. And listen carefully because basically what the Holy Fathers are teaching us here is Catholic Church teaching and what we can also see very clearly in the Holy Family of Nazareth if we but reflect on their example. So Pope Leo XIII teaches the following. This is in the encyclical letter that he wrote on Christian marriage in the year 1880. And he writes as follows. Christ our Lord raised marriage to the dignity of a sacrament in a wondrous way making it an example of the mystical union between himself and his church. Marriage is a great sacrament, honorable in all, holy, pure, and to be reverenced as a type and symbol of most high mysteries. A symbol of most high mysteries. How often are Catholic spouses aware of this, thinking about this, and believe this? It's not just about you and your wife or you and your husband or even you and your children. Christ has raised marriage to the dignity of of a sacrament and it is a symbol of very exalted mysteries. Like what? I'll say a few in a moment. But I want to just continue here finishing this little quote by Pope Leo XIII. So Pope Leo XIII continues. By the command of Christ, marriage not only looks to the propagation of the human race, but to the bringing forth of children for the church, fellow citizens with the saints and the domestics of God, so that a people might be born and brought up for the worship and religion of the true God and our Savior Jesus Christ. It's brief, but it's one of the most beautiful teachings on marriage that we have as Catholics. Pope Leo XIII is teaching very clearly, this is by the command of Christ. Just like Christ is bringing with His birth, His incarnation and birth, the Holy Family, by the command of Christ, the mission of husband and wife is to bring forth a people. It's, it's beautiful the phrase that Pope Leo XIII uses. So that a people might be born. That's what Christmas is also for. Jesus is born so that a people might be born and brought up 
educated, raised for the worship and religion of the true God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So that there will be a people, namely the Catholic faithful, so that there will be a people that will offer true adoration and worship to the one true God. Again, the example of the three kings. It isn't just so that we see the three kings. It's so that we bring forth a people, and again, especially father and mother, husband and wife, so that we bring forth a people that is truly worshipping God, the one true God, and our Savior Jesus Christ. And there is no true worship of the one true God outside of the Catholic faith and outside of the Catholic Church. This in itself is already a most exalted mystery that the Catholic marriage is supposed to care for. But what are some of those high mysteries of which the Catholic marriage is a symbol and type of? The union between Christ and His church. One couldn't ask for something greater or more sublime. If you're married through the church, you have been given a very special mission and grace to mirror the union of Christ and His church. Other mysteries that are there contained in marriage that marriage points us to, like I just mentioned, think of the adoration of the three kings. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the three kings came to adore Him. Who is coming to adore Him now? I mean, if the work is being done correctly in the Catholic home, a people is being born to worship and adore in the true way our Lord and our God. A great mystery that is there symbolized and and really brought out by the sacrament of marriage, God who gives life. And God who is willed to give life through the union of husband and wife. And Catholic marriage and life in the family also teaches us a very important lesson and that's that we have to sacrifice of ourselves for the salvation of others. Husband sacrificing for his wife and his children for their salvation. Wife sacrificing for her husband and for her children for their salvation. Children, especially I would say as they get older, also making sacrifices for the good and the salvation of their parents, many times elderly. Pope Leo XIII then continues, Husband and wife are bound to have such feelings for one another as to cherish always very great mutual love, to be ever faithful to their marriage vow, and to give one another an unfailing and unselfish help. The husband is the chief of the family and the head of the wife. The woman must be subject to her husband and obey him, not indeed as a servant, but as a companion, so that her obedience shall not be wanting in neither honor nor dignity. Since the husband represents Christ, And since the wife represents the church, let there always be, both in him who commands and in her who obeys, a heaven-born love 
guiding both in their respective duties. That's what's most important. That husband and wife be doing their best to grow in that virtue of charity. A heaven-born love guiding both in their respective duties. Even obedience, as important as it is, is to be exercised first and foremost with a love and again the example of Christ's love for His church. I'll read to you one final quote. This one's from Pope Pius XI. Listen very carefully because this, I think, also is one of the most important teachings on marriage and the family and it goes beyond just marriage and the family for just Christian life. You know, this really applies to all of us also. No one is accepted from this teaching that we're going to hear right now from Pope Pius XI. This is from his encyclical letter on Christian marriage from 1930. And he writes the following. The most potent cause of sinning against the sacred laws of matrimony is unbridled lust. And man cannot hold in check his passions unless he first subject himself to God. This must be his primary endeavor. Man must seek to subject himself to God. If he doesn't do this, he's not going to be able to hold in check his disordered passions. It's an extremely important teaching. And then he kind of expands on this. Since the onslaughts of uncontrolled passions cannot in any way be lessened unless the Spirit first shows a humble compliance of duty and reverence towards its Maker. It is above all and before all needful that those who are joined in the bond of sacred wedlock should be wholly imbued with a profound and genuine sense of duty towards God, which will shape their whole lives and fill their minds and wills with a very deep reverence for the majesty of God. Think carefully for a few moments about what the Catholic Church teaches us. Pope Pius XI is telling us that above all, more important than money, or how much money, let's say, the husband makes, more important than looks, more important than material well-being, more important than physical health, more important than what the psychologists say. What is, he says, it is above all and before all needful that those who are joined in marriage should be wholly imbued with a love for God. A profound and genuine sense of duty towards God. God comes first. God's law. I honor God. I look to God. I look to please God. So that this will shape their whole lives and fill their minds and their wills with a very deep reverence for the majesty of God. Again, the example of the three kings. Before all else, putting 
the true God in seeking and finding and adoring the true God first? And just think about this because this is one of the reasons why for the young Catholics, I'll say it, I, I say it many times, don't ever even consider marrying someone who isn't Catholic and who is not a rock-solid Catholic, I would say, just for starters, going to the traditional Latin Mass. Because what's above all necessary is that their minds and their wills have to be filled with a very deep reverence for God, for the majesty of God, profound respect for God's law, for God's commandments. And Pope Pius XI links this very much with what he calls the greatest, the most potent cause of sinning against the laws of holy matrimony, which is unbridled lust. Because if one cannot subject oneself to God, how is one going to subject one's passions? And again, just think of the tragedy, make the applications. Think of the tragedy of so many Catholics that are in unions and they're not married to the church. I mean, I'd say it's a true tragedy because they are not subjecting themselves to God in what is most fundamental. God's law, the first law for marriage. You're married through the church. It's a sacrament. So they're not subjecting themselves to God. They're subjecting themselves to whatever. Their own desires or the example of the world or what's more convenient or whatever else is out there. But it's not being subjected to God. How are they going to overcome the... Uh, let's say, greatest cause of sinning and ruin, ruin in a marriage. Consider this teaching very, very seriously. I'm going to conclude this morning by just saying a few quick words on the COVID vaccines because there's uh, plenty of controversy brewing over this. The most important point that I want to make this morning, because this is the one that specifically has to do with Catholic teaching. At the end, I'll give you a bit of just my, my own advice, but it's my own advice. I mean, you take it or leave it. But in terms of Catholic teaching, it's extremely important to understand what is at stake here. And it's the following. There is very clear evidence that the vaccines that right now are being promoted specifically the Pfizer and the Moderna and the AstraZeneca, that these vaccines have been produced starting from cells taken from aborted fetuses. This is a most serious problem. Based on this fact, the Catholic cannot, in good conscience, be making use of these vaccines. Now, I want to point out to you, because here we have an example of the very serious crisis that is taking place in the Catholic Church today. Definitely, it's sad, but there is a lot of confusion going on, because I've already heard some people, well, but you know, Pope Francis says this, and you know, he took the vaccine, and Pope Benedict took the vaccine, and the bishop and the pope, and this and that. It's very important, this isn't the first time I say this, we have to realize and take seriously the very grave crisis that is taking place in the church in terms of the faith and the loss of faith. A total disorientation because we've lost the faith. And this particularly in the hierarchy. It's affecting every single person. Because as Catholics we tend to, and rightfully so, 
we tend to put trust and confidence in what the hierarchy is telling us. Here we have yet another example of how many in the hierarchy are deviating from Catholic Church teaching. It shouldn't completely surprise us though. We already have gotten any number of false teachings in something extremely important. The first example that comes to my mind is with regard to the sacredness of Holy Communion and the sacredness of marriage. Particularly those two kind of intersect when it has to do with only those who are living holily their Catholic marriage are to receive Holy Eucharist. The, the specific example is that those who are in a state of sin or in a state of public adultery and are not married to the church can never receive communion you know, worthily. They have to convert first and that's what they should do. And yet already here we've gotten a very wrong directive mostly by silence and by not correcting this from, from the very Vatican, from Jorge Bergoglio himself. So we shouldn't be surprised that we're not getting the correct orientation or teaching when it comes to the vaccines. I want to quote to you the statement that has been made by the CDF. The CDF is the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Basically the congregation in Rome that is supposed to be, that is supposed to be providing us the correct guidance on these matters. Because it's very problematic what this statement says. It's dated December the 21st, the year 2020. So basically about a month ago. And what the document says is it talks about how this, taking the vaccine, it talks about how it's what's called in, say, moral uh, language, remote material cooperation in sin. And so basically the document is saying, look, to put it very simply, it's saying, because you are cooperating in a very indirect way in the sin of abortion, that then it is licit, it's okay to use the vaccine, and then it explains also why. It's trying to justify. It's trying to say there's a grave reason why you are licitly able to lend this cooperation to the sin of abortion. It's true that this very remote cooperation, if there were a really grave danger, that it could be licit. But... The problem is, is that we don't have that very grave danger right now that the document from the CDF is trying to present as if it exists. And I'll quote to you what they say. Quote, The moral duty, they're acknowledging that there's a moral duty to avoid such passive material cooperation. So they're saying there is a moral duty to avoid it. And this is what I want to emphasize to you this morning. We have a moral duty to avoid this passive indirect cooperation. So the document says, the moral duty to avoid such passive material cooperation is not obligatory if there is a grave danger such as the otherwise uncontainable spread of a serious pathological agent. Close quote. The document is assuming that there is an otherwise uncontainable spread of a serious pathological agent. This is in serious, serious question. There are any number of extremely strong arguments that can be made against this argument that it's an uncontainable spread and of how serious this pathological agent in fact is. 
the document a little bit later, it's pretty short, later, kind of saying the same thing. It says, in the absence of other means to stop or even prevent the epidemic. It's kind of assuming that there are not any other means to stop or prevent this epidemic. How much of an epidemic it is, is also a real question. And so the point is, is that you have very serious questions where there's a lot of evidence pointing to the contrary, where this document makes it a point to just assume that, to try and justify why then one might be able to take the vaccine. In the end, the main point is, there is no justification to be taking this vaccine, given the particular link that it has with aborted fetuses. A quick comment that I'll make is a general comment, and I ask you to also really think about this because it's affecting everything that's been going on since the beginning of this supposed pandemic and, you know, the vaccines now and all this that is going on. We have a massive crisis of truth. The truth is not being told to us. We're not being told the truth about the origins of this vaccine, and the, the vaccine also that probably yes, but also the, the, of the virus. We're not being told the origins of the virus. We haven't even really been told how extensive this uh, virus really is. Because they give us all these inflated numbers. And so you have all these problems with the truth not being told, both about the virus, its dangers, and then what are the possible cures, what aren't. And so this is also what makes it extremely difficult to make correct moral judgments because the very first thing that we need is we need to have the truth and we're not being told the truth. And this is the first thing really that even we as church leaders in Rome should insist on, should say, look, we need to be honest about exactly what's going on here and not be allowing any possible uh, hidden agendas making their way and, and making use and manipulating this supposed you know, virus and now vaccines that are out there. But just a few final comments and these I'd say kind of my own personal comments but also you know, I think you'd get similar recommendations from reputable physicians. So I'd encourage you to seek out the medical experts among us and ask them about this. I strongly, strongly discourage you also for more practical reasons from even considering to take any of these vaccines. Why? The vaccines that are out there right now, they do not give any guarantee. They do not guarantee efficacy, but we do know that they can induce serious side effects. And the problem also is as much is still unknown. There's still a lot that is not known about what these possible side effects can be especially with regard to long-term side effects. There just hasn't been enough time to determine this. It's possible, and this is also a very serious problem, it's quite possible that one of the long-term effects of these vaccines is sterility. And even worse, if in fact that's the case, I'm not saying it necessarily is, but if in fact it is, that's a huge problem, because then you could even very well begin to consider how their nefarious forces at work even looking to use this vaccine as a, as a way of population control. And again, there are a lot of unanswered questions about the safety and efficacy of these viruses. There are a lot of other treatments. One, for example, that's called the hyperimmune plasma. Other treatments are being boycotted despite the evidence of their efficacy. Other treatments, other ways of dealing effectively that also have good proven results are not being talked about, are not being promoted, we're not being told the truth about all these things. And so that's why back to the statement from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, 
there's no way you can be making a claim as if there's no other possible way to address this issue of the virus. There are a lot of other anecdotal things that are going on. I would encourage you to at least consider them. There's some people that have already taken the vaccine and have died because they took the vaccine. Now, I'm not saying everybody. You know, there's some that are saying that maybe 10 to 15% of the people that take the vaccine are going to experience more harmful side effects. I mean, all these numbers, you know, research them. But the point is, is that there are very serious problems that are out there. We're not being told all the truth about this. And I'll just close by making one other small observation, which I find very telling. Um, I was just told very recently by a reputable source, and I think this is, again, very telling, that when you take these vaccines that you're, I don't know if you're both signing already or it's already into law, but basically nobody can sue these companies for side effects that occur later on. And I would say this in itself is crazy. I mean, I'm sure all of you have heard of all kinds of different, you know, mega millions and billions of lawsuits that people have filed against different companies when it turns out that, you know, you've got all these side effects where people have died from cancer and died from all these other things. Well, here we're being presented with these vaccines. Again, nobody really knows very much about them right now. And yet we're basically saying these companies are completely immune from any lawsuits now or in the future. That in itself, I would say, just using my little common sense, I would say that's crazy. Something is very wrong here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.